Welcome to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Masoni and Marshall, the meaningful marketplace. We have a title. Yay. Good job, <laughs> us. Ah, so exciting. Happy to be here. I wanted to start today. I actually get to interview Sarah Marshall, my partner in crime here at the studio. And the first thing I wanted to do is start with a thank you. And I want to thank Sarah for agreeing to be on this radio show with me. Oh, I think it's just welcome. wonderful. <laughs> and also I want to tell her... Um, that I'm super proud of her. In fact, she's one of my best entrepreneur stories that I get to tell because of the way that she and her husband and her family have actually been really successful with being entrepreneurial and having a business that's um, sustainable. That's so nice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What a great way to start the day. <laughs> I know. It's so cool. Thanks, Sarah. Sure. You said you might have a few things you wanted to mention when we start off this morning. So when we start off our shows, we're going to talk about anybody has press releases. So if you have food news, we can put it out there. But since we're just getting started, um, we don't have any today that anybody sent to us. But if you do have food news, maybe a new product, maybe an event you want us to talk about, you can send them at startupradionetwork.com. There's a contact page. You can send them there. But I wanted to talk about a food event that, Sarah, you have been part of and I've been part of over the years, but it's happening this next week. So um, there is what's called Time to Market Showcase. It's on June 20th and it's open to the public at 5 p.m., right? That's right. You can go on Eventbrite and get a free ticket. Cool. And the reason I love this event is that um, you can really meet a lot of fellow makers. So if you're a food maker in town and you need some buddies, it's a good place to meet new people. Uh, If you are a food maker thinking about it, you can go and be inspired. If you're one that's already in it, you can see if it's a good event for you for next year. But it's a good opportunity to connect to buyers, to meet other people. I have attended it over the years just because I like it. Um, Mm -hmm. I I know the idea is that it's very new businesses. Um, I'm not attending this year as a tabler, but I'm going to attend as a guest so I can meet all the new people and we can talk about them on the show after. That would be great. In fact, we're so excited this year. It's supposed to be sunny instead of Yeah, I've been there on a rainy time and I've been there on a sunny time. (laughs) Yeah, so um, we're going to look forward to that. It's going to be an awesome event. We'll have... A minimum of 65 vendors and maybe up to 70. It should be our biggest year yet. Awesome. I'm super excited about it. So if you're available June 20th, show up at the Food Innovation Center, get your Eventbrite ticket, and we'll see you there. Yeah, and I wanted to mention one other thing that's actually happening on the 19th. 
the Oregon Entrepreneur Network is having their big pitch fest and um, event. Cool. Uh, and if you're interested, just go on their website and figure it out. You have to buy a ticket. Okay. Oregon Entrepreneur Network. That's right. And Angel Oregon. Great. So my first question, oh, actually, for right you, Sarah, mm-hmm. are you ready? I'm ready. Is what are some of your earliest memories of food? Uh, I, I have a lot of them. That's a really good question. So my um, my mom... Love you, mom. She's probably listening. Um, She is, you know, kind of a hippie mama from South San Francisco, and she's was always very into food, gardening, canning, uh, making things yourself, uh, which you know doesn't always turn out. I mean, I think my first food memory I would say is my mom's homemade bread, Mm. which was made. This was a thing. People don't really do it anymore, probably because it's not good for you, but was to make big bread in coffee cans. Do you remember that? Yeah. My mom did it. Absolutely. Yeah. So that my mom's bread is really like my first memory. And it's not that it was good. And she knows (laughs) this. We've talked about it, but it's just like she would try to make sandwiches out of it and it had all these like seeds and it, it would like crumble apart. But it was just like this sweet, cool thing. So that's one of the first things that I can remember. That's great. Yeah. And then um, other food memories from being little. There's a food story, you know, when the, my because my mom was like in the hippie movement, there was a food story that they thought that feeding babies uh, all these oils, like cod liver oil in their food and all these things were going to give your children really great skin and stuff like that. And so my mom would try to sneak things in there and I would just not, not eat have it. nothing to no, do No, wasn't that. into it. <laughs> But, um, yeah, and then canning. So my mom's always gardened and canned, which is, you know, a big part of my life now. And so I feel really thankful that she did that. So I think about all – she made a lot of, like, peaches, applesauce, plums, things like that. So then those are things that now I feed my daughter. That's great. You and I have that in common. My mom always baked her breads. Yeah. And we always did canning in the summer. Yeah. I think it's a really great – you know, when I think – I. I talk a lot about like family values and things like that. I think it's a really great thing for families to do together. And so I just try to encourage people to always do that because it's been a big part of my life and my journey to like make food yourself and do it together and do it as a family and things like that. Yeah. And it's amazing how things from our childhood are reflected in our adult lives. I think that's something that people should um, think about. So I wanted to know a little bit more about your passion for canning and how you chose hot sauce for your product. Sure. So my my passion for canning, I mean, came from my, my mom. I, I knew about canning from my mom and my grandma. But when I started doing it and getting really into it myself was when I was a social worker. So I did social work for about 10 years. I had a lot of different jobs around the city I worked for. The Women's Resource Center at PSU while I was going through school, uh, the Women's Crisis Line, and then I worked for Janice Youth for a long time. And doing social work is awesome. I love people that have the passion to do it for a long period of time, but it's very hard and it's very stressful. So canning really became my release when I got home because I... It was stressful. I mean, I like I love people so much, and I carry around their feelings. So mm. social work wasn't a great job for me. 
because uh, I just would live in other people's sadness, you know? And so I needed something to get me out of that. After I, I would have, like, really tough days, I would come home and I would can until, like, you know, I, I'm a late-night gal, so I would do it up until, you know, like, 1 a.m., and then I would go to sleep and start my day again, and I would feel, like, ready to do it, you know, like, calmed down and... Um, so that's how I like really got into canning as like a release. And then I loved it. You know, I, I wanted to teach other people to do it. I started teaching the families that I worked with how to, you know, make their own food together, how to preserve, how to can. And I just loved that part a lot more than, than the counseling piece. Nice. And so I had the idea to create a business, but I, Within that, I was making all these sauces for the kids that I worked with. So the kids were living in the home that I ran, mm. and I would make their food. I was in charge of all their food, all their meals. We were trying to cut out any processed ingredients. A lot of them were on the spectrum, and we realized that if we didn't give them food dyes or processed foods or things like that, um, that we were giving them a lot in the mm. things that were coming in um, from the food bank and places. Um, so we tried to cut all that out. So I started making these recipes, and... Um, I couldn't can it and give it to them because that wasn't didn't fit with health department rules, so I would make it and freeze it. Mm. And then I just kind of started looking into what it would look like to be able to make it and give it to them because the kids were into it. They were these were teenage boys, so they were into hot sauce, they were into barbecue sauce. So those were my first four recipes were things that I was making there. I, I didn't know what it would look like to do that. So I took some business classes while I was still a social worker. I see. And then I still have this file on my computer that was like, I was either going to do a food cart where I was going to sell these, um, you know, products. Cause at that time it was hard to get all the answers for if I could bottle it myself. I see. Or I was going to start the sauce business and I thought I would still do social work. And I just, now you do social hot sauce. Work. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to do. ask you another question about the canning. So how did you learn all of the science behind canning? Did you do the master canner program? I did. I went through the master canning in uh, um, Washington State University. So technically, I don't say I'm still a master canner because it's oh. a volunteer program. So oh. I don't volunteer anymore. Yeah. Um, but I did do it, and I, th I love the master canners. I love what they do. I love how they teach people. I spent time um, on their extension services volunteer line, which I feel like is one of the most you learn so much about what goes wrong for people when they're canning, which is really great. So uh, it, I don't know if people know about this service, but extension services, you can call with any food-related questions. It doesn't even have to be about canning. So we would get calls from restaurants, from people at home, from people whose maybe freezer defrosted and they want to know if they can eat the food. So there's this service <laughs> out there that there's a volunteer there waiting to answer all of your questions so that people don't get sick. And I love that time that I spent doing it. And I think it's such an important thing to do. So if anybody's interested in um, being able to help people in a food way, you can look into the Master Canners program. Master Gardeners is awesome, too. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people, I feel like, don't really know about it. Uh, a lot of the people that I did the program with were retired. It was all women when I was in the program. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's very hard to do it when you are working because it's a, a lot of volunteer time. So I had to... I did it, and then I moved on. <laughs> yeah, so you and I met at the Food Innovation Center because that's where I work, and you came in as someone seeking assistance. And I'm wondering, how did you learn about it, and what made you finally come to see me? 
How did I find out about the Food Innovation Center? I let me think because that was nine years ago. Did you get referred <laughs> by somebody? Was it? Through? I don't think so. I think what happened is that. Um, you know, I think things are easier now when somebody wants to start a food business. Yeah. But when I started, so I, I took these business classes mm-hmm. and part of coming up with the business plan was figuring out how you were going to make your product. Um, and I started looking into it. So I was calling. I didn't even know who would certify me, really. So I was calling the health department. I called. Um, I ended up getting then after a few th- tries, figured mm-hmm. out the Department of Agriculture was who I needed to talk yeah. to. And then um, I think it was Mike Black said, have you talked to Sarah at the Food Innovation oh, Center? Oh, he was with the Department of Agriculture. Yes. That's right. And he, so he had, before I even started the certification process of my home, um, I came to talk to you. So... There are a couple steps that are required for you to start making a hot sauce. And hot sauce that you're making is what I would call Mm shelf-stable, and it's acidified. Yep. So can you tell us a little bit about what you had to do to be able to put your sauce on the shelf? Yeah, well, so I went about it in a way that I wanted to make the product myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's there's another way that you can do it, which is you come up with the recipe and you have someone else make it, so a Mm -hmm. co-packer. But I wanted to go the way of, because it it was really about canning and it was about me making it, and I wanted to give people these things that I was making. So I wanted to make it on my own. Uh, At that time, there was a, a process that was called the Domestic Commercial Kitchen. That's right. And I think they've changed it. Now now it might be a cottage license. There's a couple it's called a couple different it's been called a couple different things over the years. But what it was called when I started was a domestic commercial kitchen license. Mm-hmm. So the Department of Agriculture comes in and licenses your kitchen. And then you have to have if you're not making a product that is from a certain recipe book or guide. And this was this was different then too, but now it's with the um, farm initiative, there's certain recipes that you can make that aren't yours. Yeah, that's the pickle bill. Yeah, right. And and but that didn't that hadn't happened yet because okay. that happened in 2011, and I was doing this in 2010. Okay. So um, so then I had to get the approval to make the product. I had to get somebody to test it and make sure that the pH was where it needed to be to be a shelf stable acidified food that I could make in my home. And then I had to have the processing authority approve it because they were all my own recipes. So before I could do any of that, I had you test the pH levels, but I didn't even have like a product yet. I mean, I didn't have something I was going to sell when I went in and talked to you. It was just something I made. Did you take, there's a class that's a federal class called Better Process Control. Did you attend the Better Process Control School? So that was the other thing you have to do is you have to get a certification through Better Process Control. I did it through University of Davis, Davis University. UC Davis. Yeah, yeah. so it was online. <laughs> California. But it was a little different even then. I'm sure it's more seamless now. Like yeah, you had to do actually, these tests at a certain time. They don't offer it anymore. Oh. Now it's in out of Tennessee. I think the state schools are sort of rotating through who's doing the online yeah. program. Yeah, but so, so I did that. And then you have to have whoever does that training, then that's who needs to be there when the saucing happens. <laughs> That's right. And there's record keeping involved, so it's a little bit complicated. But yeah. once you learn it, it becomes second nature. Mm-hmm. So now that you've been making sauce for all these years, you must have a favorite one to prepare. Can you tell us about your favorite sauce? 
Yes. Well, so my favorite one to eat is okay. our habanero carrot curry sauce mm. um, because it's spicy, but it's also, um, you know, you can go on lots of different kinds of things. So that one I probably eat every day. But my favorite sauce to make is um, probably our, it's a newer sauce. It's called bird's eye basil. And th- mm. the reason that I like to do what I do the way that I'm doing it is that I can really take a lot of time to make a product where if you're in the food production industry, a lot of times, you know, they say like time is money and things like that. And you're you're just like pumping out as much product as you can. But the way that I have things set up, I can take a lot of time to make each sauce uh, because it's just my time. I don't have this whole team of people that I'm paying to be there or things like that. So um, our bird's eye basil sauce is really interesting because we take... Um, this white balsamic vinegar and we infuse fresh basil Mm. in it and then we take it out and this is a technique I did with um, pickling a lot and so you're creating this like flavored vinegar basically and then um, and then you're making the sauce. And then so we use chilies that we've dried and we use leeks, which I think is really unique to sauce because it gives it this nice like silky texture. It's also very Pacific Northwest. We have leeks most of the year. Mm. Uh, So that's that's my favorite one. To make very nice, and you're making these sauces in your home, and I've been to your home. Yeah, your basement is basically an enormous kitchen. Yeah, so tell us about that. <laughs> Do you like living above your kitchen? I love it absolutely. Um, it hasn't always been this way. So I've my kitchen itself has had many different journeys. So we started in our tiny home kitchen. Grew out of that super fast because yeah. I could only really make like one pot at a time. Uh, and so I would have to work all night long to come to market with, you know, 40 bottles of sauce because it was just so small. Uh, then we rented a commercial space with some buddies and that we had that lease for five years. And then our lease was going to be up. Kitchen spaces became very popular in that time. So they were going to double the rent. So um, we were looking for another space. And we found this house that the man had built the commercial kitchen into the bottom of the house. And we just lived like 10 blocks away. So we sold our house in one day because that's what we needed to put the money down the house. And then it it just all barely worked, but it worked. great. I remember that. Yeah. So now we have this awesome kitchen. It's It's totally separate from the house. Um, so, you know, it's the bottom floor and then we live upstairs. So it, I love it because I can work when I need to. Um, our house always smells delicious, usually like barbecue <laughs> sauce. Our neighbor is a big barbecue guy, so he doesn't mind oh, at all that good. it's like, you know, we're putting, we're both putting barbecue out into the world at the same time most of the time. So, um, yeah, so it's great. I, I love it. And I feel really lucky to have it happened the way that it happened. So one of the things that I'm always thinking about when I think about your business is how do they make a palette of sauce and where, how do you ship it out, and how does that go when you're working out of your home kitchen? Yeah, so we um, we don't have a loading dock. We don't have a truck. We don't even know how to really wrap a pallet. We wrapped a pallet, Dirk and I, one time we watched a YouTube video, and we were like, <laughs> this is not going to make it My to husband the East could Coast. Teach you. <laughs> yeah. My husband's really good at wrapping pallets. Well, we decided that was not our skill set. Our skill set was to make the sauce. So we <laughs> make all the sauce, and then we are um, spiced 
Spice Guy is a big distributor. So um, Dante from Spiceworks is actually over by the Food Innovation Center. So we oh. take all of the boxes to him, mm-hmm. and then he loads them on pallet and ships them out. Oh, that's a great relationship. <laughs> that's good to know that yeah. you can find other people you can to help find you people. out. And, you know, I tell people that all the time because as people start to, their businesses start to grow and they get asked to do these bigger orders, which they've never done before, and they don't, it, it's very expensive to ship a pallet on your own if you don't ship all the time because right. it's based on how much you ship. It's based on your right. rates. Less than a truckload is yeah. expensive. And now they're even starting new cool things. I haven't used the service, but I've read about it where you can, it's called piggybacking or something like that, where you it's can, calling. yeah, where mm-hmm. you can have your order go on someone else's truck. And it's kind of like a Uber service or mm-hmm. a um, Lyft service where mm-hmm. you, it's an app and you find out which trucks are going where, and then you can just kind of hop onto it. You know, oh. your pallet can hop onto it. Not Ooh. like train hopping. There's an app for that? I'm <laughs> yeah. going to have to download yeah. that app. Yeah. It's, I mean, I thought I wanted to tell people about it because you can definitely find it. I can't remember the name, but it is really cool. And, um, you know, that's just my suggestion to people is that if you think, if it seems overwhelming to, like, ship things yourself, really, if you're small, you, sh- you can always, there's buddies that can help you out. And now a word from our sponsor. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences. Because food brings people together. Yeah, so Michael and I were in New York yeah, this spring having a good time, and we were uh, in the meatpacking district, and we went into this big building, and we found your hot sauce Ooh, down yeah. in the basement at the Chelsea Market. Yeah, Chelsea Market. I love the Chelsea Market, mm-hmm. and that's the heat nest that is in the basement, and they also have a shop in Brooklyn. Oh, and we I was wondering their about that. shop. So okay, so this is another example of me finding buddies, and. We grow together. So Noah started the Heat Nest. Yeah. And he was just doing a stand at the night market of hot sauces that weren't made with any weird ingredients. So nice. he wouldn't do any. No Xanthan you know, gum. Yeah, no gums, no um, artificial anything, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of things. And he was just a guy who liked hot sauce but wanted it to be good for you and wanted to sell it. So I would ship him hot sauce to his um, apartment in Brooklyn and then he would sell it at the market and he just had he maybe had like five or six hot sauces and he would he was kind of like a mini you know shop then he opened his shop in Brooklyn and then he started doing the hot ones show so I don't oh. know if you know that show but Is it's that pretty big it's not a podcast it's a YouTube show oh I love YouTube and so they have celebrities come on and taste sauces and um, as they go through the hottest ones but it, anyways so he his his business kind of you know, elevated immediately. Yeah. So we send pallets to, to Noah. He, yeah. It's not to his apartment anymore. He has oh. a warehouse. <laughs> and he's one of our, I mean, you know, the Heatnest sells a lot of sauce for us. And it's a I big think city. it's a big city and they have two shops and the mm-hmm. Chelsea Market is a huge tourist destination. Yes. So they just have a little counter in the basement, but they sample all their sauces so people can try it. And yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I'm so glad that you found that place. Well, actually, uh, Michael and I seek thrills when we go out traveling. Yeah. We look in shops to see if any of my customers or clients are in them. So I we were that. super excited to see you there yeah. at Chelsea Market. Yeah. 
We made it to New York. <laughs> so my next question is a little bit about um, where you would dream of selling your product. If you could go anywhere in the world to sell your product and demo it, where would that be and why? Oh, that's a good one. I have never re- Well, no, I have thought about it. I think about it, but I, I don't know that I've ever really said it out loud. So here we go. <laughs> uh, there's two things. So I have this sauce buddy that I met doing a demo at a, a West Elm store, which those kinds of things are really weird because it's like people just think you work at the store and they don't even have food, but they like to do these artisan markets. But I always do them. I, I never really say no to anything when people ask me to do stuff. So I did it. There was a man from Barbados that I met there. His wife oh. was shopping for pillows. She thought I worked at the store. Nice. He, so it made him come over to talk to me and he was like, what is this hot sauce you have? I love hot sauce. So he lives in Barbados part-time, lives here part-time. He brings me the best hot sauces from Barbados every year when he comes. And sometimes, you know, they have different rules there. So, of course, right. you couldn't do this here. But they are sauces that are in old water bottles or, oh. you know, like in a canning jar. No labels, no names. But but he also brings me ones from the grocery store that have labels and names. But my favorite ones, because I always tell him to find me the hottest ones, Ooh. are those, like, label-free ones. So I would love to go to Barbados because so far it seems like... I love the sauces. I I think they'd be into my sauces. They're totally different because they use different peppers, you know. So they're making sauces that I can't make here. And Uh I make sauces they wouldn't be able to make there because they don't have any of the same vegetables. Everything is just vinegar, peppers, salt. Cool. So I just thought of something. I believe Lisa Herlinger of Ruby Jewel is actually working with a popcorn guy from Barbados. He had come here earlier this spring. And he's an entrepreneur, and now she's going there to Whoa. work with him. I think it was Barbados, but we should check with her because yeah. maybe you could get in on that program. That Whoa. would be cool. Let's make my let's make my sauce dreams come true, Sarah. Ah, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'll connect you somehow. So recently, you published a book. Yes. And that was a labor of love. Can you tell us a little bit about it? It's called Preservation Pantry. Yeah, Preservation Pantry. So I have a cookbook. It's a canning book. Well, it's more than a canning book. It uh, teaches people how to have zero food waste. My mom called that being resourceful. That's how I mm-hmm. grew up with it. Now it's food waste, so it's a it's kind of a trend, which is why I think it became a book. But um, So I teach people how to, let's say, pickle some carrots, and then you can use the carrot tops to make carrot top pesto, so mm-hmm. things that people would maybe compost. Um, and then there's a recipe for cooking with it. So I, I set it up so that if people didn't can, they could still find value in the book. Um, but it also teaches people how to can. So there's a lesson in the beginning. And um, I, I, pretty much everybody I know and love was involved in this book to make it happen. So you did a lot of my recipe testing things. Um, yeah. And my friend Brooke did the illustrations. And my other friend did the Caleb did the photographs. And my friend Ashley Marty is this wonderful food stylist, did all the food styling. So it's it became this really beautiful, wonderful thing yeah. that involved everyone I know. My mom got back into canning because she t- recipe tested the recipes. Nice. And so now she's part of my canning club. My canning club was part of the process. Like it just really took everyone. So there are a lot of great books coming out of Portland. Yeah. And I'm sure there are a lot of people with great ideas of how they might want to publish something that yes. they have on their mind. And I was wondering, how did you connect with your publisher? 
Can you so, tell us yeah, about that? I think my, my my way to having a book published is um, is maybe pretty common. But in, in Portland, I think a lot of people are approached because yeah. Portland right now is... We're food entertainment. Yeah, we're known for our food. We're known for entertainment. We're known for having cool things. People have cool stories. We're mm-hmm. very unique individuals. So people seek us out. So mm-hmm. I think that... Um, it helps to be living in Portland. Mm-hmm. But um, but also in Portland, the other thing that's a little bit weird is there's not a lot of agents. There's not a lot of publishing companies. So we kind of have to be connected to other people. So here's how my, what my book journey looked like. I wrote a book proposal, which is basically like a pitch. Yeah, it's kind of like a business plan in yeah. a way, isn't it? Yes. I, um, so Diane Morgan is an author. A wonderful author from here in Portland. She's written, I would guess, 20 food books. What? Um, She did a presentation about writing a a pitch for a book. Um, I followed that pretty much to a T and wrote it. And then what the next step was to find an agent. So I had to find an agent who... There's all different kinds of agents that pitch different kinds of books. So I sent my proposal to an agent. She decided to take me on as a client. Hmm. So that was my first step was to find an agent. And then she helped me rework my proposal uh, because there's all kinds of things I didn't know to think about to put in there. Mm -hmm. And then so we basically made a mini cookbook to then pitch to agents. So I had we did like a photo shoot of the way that I was wanting to style it. We did some of the illustrations in there um, because it was really that was what made it unique was Mm -hmm. me having all of my awesome friends work on this project with me. So then my agent pitched it to publishers Mm -hmm. and then. There were different publishers that made different offers, and then we chose the publisher. Bam. Yep. And then there's a book. So I just... Three years later. (laughs) Just for fun, I did a Google search on you. Oh, cool. Does it just... There were 19 up. pages that had your name on it. Well, I think it's this oh. the movie, um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Whenever I used to, I haven't Googled myself in a no, long no. time. No, I checked to make sure it was you. It was me. I okay, actually cool. saw you on yeah. all 19 pages. Whoa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and um, there were 18,800 results in 24 seconds. Whoa. That seems like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't know that about yourself? No, I didn't. I was just trying to give you a little data. Okay. So you can add that to your list of things. I'll put it on my resume, which I don't have. (laughs) So last week when you and I were chatting, you told me something I can't remember, but oh, from the New York Times article, you sort of renamed it. Oh, yeah. And so actually for me, I was thinking, that I would ask you about your next book that you're going to publish. And I was trying to think of what it might be. And I was thinking maybe it should be called Preservation Picnic. Oh, that's a good one. Because that would be a way to get people out of their houses mm-hmm. and use the food that they created. Yeah. Out in the, you know, the wilderness or the park or whatever. Yeah, out in the world. So I'll I'll be waiting for you to give me your proposal. 
Well, I when I um, finished the um, cookbook, I said I would never write another one, but n- because it's a lot of work. It's and, like and I have a, busy, a child. Yeah. I, well, and I had just had a child, so right. I was. That's when I was doing most of my writing. While it was while I was nursing, so um, that I had signed the book when my baby was born. Mm. So um, then I had to. Uh, keep working on it I couldn't yeah. stop so um yeah and but now it's been enough time that um I I think that I would be open to the idea again but so since you brought up your family yeah you and I both have that in common we have a husband and a daughter yes and your husband's very involved in your work as well can you tell us how you work together as food entrepreneurs? Yes. So that story is a good one because I have worked with Dirk since I met him. Mm-hmm. We met um, working at Urban Outfitters. We were both going to school at PSU. Mm. And um, I was his boss. And then, <laughs> and then when I went and worked at PSU at the Women's Resource Center, Dirk uh-huh. also came and worked at PSU Aww. and ran the... Um, this, I don't know if I can say it on the air, but ran the stitching group with a racy name. And, um, <laughs> and so he, yeah. And then, and then we both got social work jobs. Mm. And so we didn't work together for mm. a while. And then I started the business and it was just me for many years. Um, but Dirk would help me from time to time. And then, uh, we had our daughter and he was not really able to see her much. So he, she would be sleeping, you know, when he left for work and he, she would be sleeping when he came home. Mm. So we tried, I went back to my business classes and figured out what I needed to do to make it so that we could both do the business together. Mm. For me, it ended up being when we ran all of the numbers and things because we also had to figure out how to pay for health insurance. Right. Because uh, we had health insurance through. He worked for the school at that time. Mm-hmm. It was very good insurance. So um, we figured out w- what we needed to do, which was really to have more wholesale accounts. There you go. And, um, and make it so that he could work full time for the business. And I could, too. It's a great story. Yeah. And your wonderful little daughter that yes. we all love Adeline she might be listening right now so hello Adeline hi Adeline (laughs) (laughs) she's a really fun gal yeah she's so so adorable and uh, well I think that when I think about family and and starting this business um you know it really came from a point where I wanted to create my own family I wanted to be able to be around my family all the time uh you know Dirk and I have always worked well together we wanted to work together I wanted Adeline to grow up in the market and be part of it because I just think it's such an awesome community Mm -hmm. I love um when people can come together over food and we have been able to do that with her. We've been able to be there for everything. She can come with us to stuff. If she if she can't come with or with us to things or it's not a good event, you know, our parents are around so they help, but we try to make it that she can be at the things that we're at. That's so cool and that leads me to my next question about farmers markets. Oh yeah. I as I watch you working in farmers markets, I see that you've actually kind of become a leader at the market downtown. Can you tell us how you have made that community become something that's very important to your to your family and your work. Yeah, I 
I mean, I love the market because it is all kinds of people coming together from all over. It's not necessarily always people from here. You know, when we, so we do the big PSU farmers market on Saturday, mm-hmm. in the PSU park blocks. It's very funny because I feel like I was just destined to be in that space because mm-hmm. that's where I worked. I know you were. In, yeah, yeah, I worked like, like right across from where my stand is at the Women's Resource Center. I went to school there. I um, I just love that area. I love um, the park blocks. I love the food that happens there. Um, I I love the farmers market staff. I love the farmers. You know, we have very close relationships with all our farmers that we source from, and um, I that's not always the way things are. I Mm-mm. feel like, and I I want to know people. I want to talk to them. So this is how what a market day looks like for us. Dirk and I come early with Adeline. We load in. We give ourselves enough time to walk the market. Mm. We talk to everybody because otherwise we're just at the booth and we don't see anyone. We're just working. We're just selling. We've tried it many ways over the years. We've had staff work booths. We've had our families and we just decided it was where we wanted to be. Mm. Uh, I'm not always the greatest at selling. Like I'm not really good at standing in the booth and being like, Hey, you want to buy this? Creators are always, I can't really do it because then even because I make it, I'm like too close to it. So if somebody tastes it and they're like, I don't really like that. And I just want to be like, what do you mean you don't (laughs) like it? I made that with Mm -hmm. my hands, you know, so I'm not always (laughs) the best person to be at the booth, but I'm there at the market. Mm. So Adeline and I usually run around, chat with people, find ingredients, get food, you know, all of that kinds of stuff. And Dirk, Dirk is wonderful at it. He loves to talk about what we do and why we do it. And, um, yeah, so it's just this really great thing. But we, so we've connected with a lot of the vendors and, you know, they change over the years. So then I became the unofficial new market greeter. So when new people come to the market, I just introduce myself, ask them what they're doing, try their product. And then I tell people about it. You know, I tell the people that come to our stand that are our regulars, have you seen that we have a local saffron, you know, vendor Mm. up there, like things like that. So that, and then people, know that they appreciate it. I want everyone to succeed. You know, I want their businesses to succeed and it's hard sometimes. So I think that, um, you know, we've, we have this established community and I, I think there's room for everybody. So I want to always share that. So if you had someone come to you at the market and say, Hey, how did you get started at the farmer's market? What would your advice be? Yeah. Well, that happens every day. Every that time. I'm at the market. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes and, sense. and it's usually Dirk will be like, Oh, you know, the last Dirk and he'll be like, Oh, talk to Sarah. So, um, you know, I it, it it's hard to get into the farmer's market. Right. Uh, the reason that it was not hard for me is because I was sourcing ingredients from the farmers. So mm. the farmer's market loves that. They mm-hmm. want you to get things from the other people at the market. So if I can, you know, if, if for when I started, the farmer's market vendors would sell like, 10 Serrano peppers, mm-hmm. right? In a market day, maybe, because people buy one for mm-hmm. a quarter or something. And then, oh, you know, I'm picking up cases and cases, you know, sometimes two car loads in a market day. I, I like run the produce back while Dirk is working. It's why we do the Wednesday market because it's a pickup day for us. So, um, you know, the farmers are stoked because they can pick a lot of stuff at one time and we can pick it up and take it. Mm-hmm. And the farmers market, like the people that run the farmers market are excited because we're providing regular income to those farmers. So, yeah. you know, if it rains at a farmer's market, mm-hmm. n- nobody sells anything, even though we're here Dang. in rainy weather. But if I'm there buying stuff, the farmers are still it's making, consistent, yeah. more sustainable for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And so that's, that's you know, my suggestion always is that if you want to get into the farmer's market and you want to make a product, use ingredients from the farmer's market. 
So the, each market has a market manager, yes, right? And I think there's actually an Oregon farmer's market website. Oh, yeah. And they, I, I don't know the number of, I should have looked it up, I apologize, but if you go on that website, you'll see there's markets all over the state. And the most prominent one is kind of downtown, but there are so many other markets that are looking for new vendors. Yeah, so the Portland Farmers Market is an organization, and they run, I I believe it's changed over the years. You know, a couple of markets have gone away, some have started again, but I believe it's eight markets around the city. And so then the idea is that there are these small neighborhood markets during Mm -hmm. the week, and then everyone kind of comes together for the big weekend market. Oh. So, and the farmers, you'll see them at the different smaller markets, but then there's also farmers markets that are run just individually, maybe by the city or, you know, um, the neighborhood. So there's other markets that aren't part of the Portland Farmers Market. Yeah. Um, but the the one at PSU is run by the Portland Farmers Market organization. Now, this summer, probably all the spots are filled. So if somebody wanted to come in and try and get into the market, mm-hmm. would you say applying in the fall would be a good time? Or Yeah, they the all, winter, all or? the markets have different um, times to apply, but there's a... The, this has changed to right now manage my market is a big one that the farmers mm-hmm. markets use so you can apply to be a vendor on there um, but you need to have some things in place first you know you need to have like insurance and your approval to make the product and all of that stuff because yeah. they you they download you download those into the application so mm-hmm. you definitely have to have those things ready but um, you know one of the things I did in the beginning was that if markets were full and I still do this sometimes um, if I if I can't really commit to doing a market the whole season I just say hey if if you have somebody cancel, call me and maybe I can do it. So you get on the list. So you get on the list. And then if you, you know, do a great job, they want you to be there. And so you can get in the next year. I want to go back to your house. Yeah. If you could change one thing about your family kitchen, I went upstairs, what would it be? Hmm, I would um, fix <laughs> fix the vent fan upstairs. I think oh. it like um, blows back into the kitchen. Oh no! I, I don't know. So maybe that. But you know, I, did you go upstairs? I when did. You came I came over? there. Yeah. Yeah, so the the house was remodeled when we got it. So uh, I wouldn't really change anything. Ah, perfect. I it, you know, I love a gas stove. Mm-hmm. It has that um it you know, it has all the things that my my old house did, did not. Well, so I'm into it. I love both my kitchens. So you've kind of answered all my questions, but I want to ask you maybe one more. Maybe you can talk for a few minutes about it. If you had to articulate the single most challenging thing about being a food entrepreneur, what yeah. would that be? I think that's a really good question because I think it's, so you know, especially so when I started, there wasn't like Instagram Right, social media. Social media. I mean, there was like there was Facebook, but like I didn't know what other people were doing, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's really nice sometimes when you're starting a business is because when you see things that people are doing, sometimes it feels like everything is going so great. So people say that to me a lot when they when they see me. It's yeah, like, social media makes it sound killing it. You are everywhere. Mm-hmm. You are doing all these things, and my answer is always, I have to do all these things. Mm-hmm. I have to do everything. I have have to work all the time because it's really hard. It's not like having a job where you get a paycheck. Mm-hmm. It's not, um, you know, it's it's just challenging to make things work. So mm-hmm. I always like to put out there that it might seem like it's easy because you see pictures of me posting something, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's not. It's like it's 
it's it's hard to run your own business. Yeah. We've found ways to make it work because we do a lot of things. Yeah, you participate in community. Yeah. And so do you have like a personal policy about how you use social media? For yourself, like for your company and your family and stuff. Well, like, I always so, wonder that about folks. One, this is this is not a secret because I tell people all the time. But one thing is that people always think that our sauce Instagram and stuff is me, and it's written in my voice. Oh, but it is not me. It's not you. It is not me. What? It is jerk. What? Because Busted. it's hard for me to write about myself. <laughs> like I would never be like, hey, look at this cool thing I'm doing. Oh, I love that. So I the, love that. The spicy Marshall one is uh-huh. me. Yeah. Any sauce related things is jerk. Ah. As me. So I, I will sometimes be like, hey, could you write this on the thing? You Put give it up him there. Some ideas. Yeah. But nice. that's it. So he and he does a great job. He does an awesome mm-hmm. job. Well, I am his favorite subject. So <laughs> and it's as it should be. He loves to talk about me. Oh. He lo- he's really good at telling people the things that I'm doing. We have that in common. Yeah, too. and it's nice. It feels good because yeah. then I look at it and I'm like, yeah, that is cool. That because thing I did. It's <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, let's see. Is there anything else I wanted to ask you? Um, do we still have time? Oh, we still have, have time. Do you have like a exit strategy? <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an exit tra- strategy. And um, what I wanted to talk about one thing that I think okay. is really unique okay. to, to our us. business that we do, because in you know when you're starting a business or you're thinking about starting a business, it's really important to have a goal of what you want, so yeah. an end goal. So for some people, and for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. it's that they want to get into stores, they want to make the company really big, they want to be in all the grocery stores and grocery chains, um, things like that. They want to maybe just blow it up or and sell it, or just create something that they can sell. And I hear that a lot from people, and I think that's great, but that was not... That wasn't my goal or my journey. I wanted to create a food business where I made things. Uh I gave it to people. I always tell people I think of it more like a butcher shop. Like I wanted to create a family shop where I did the things with my family and we sold it to people. And that was it. And I wanted to make enough money to live. We were social workers before. We didn't have a lot of money. Uh, And that's I wanted to just maintain that. So we've worked to do that over the years. That's always been our goal. I don't want to change that. I don't want to get bigger. I don't want to sell the business, you know, Mm. and so we've, but, but also things change. So, um, you know, grocery stores change, Mm -hmm. the way that we sell things change. Um, it, it fluctuates, uh, all these things change over time. So even, um, you know, our internet sales have increased over time. That Mm -hmm. wasn't like a big goal for us in the beginning because people didn't really buy things the way that they do now online. You know, Amazon has changed a lot of things. Um, It's just, it's changed the way people shop. We don't sell as much stuff in in bigger stores. We Mm -hmm. sell a lot of stuff in in smaller stores. So we've tried to keep everything on a really personal level, Mm -hmm. which I think is really unique to a food business. Unless you're, I mean, if you're a big food business, you have a different journey. But this was ours, and this is what we wanted to do, and it's what I want to keep doing. You know, I want this to be my family business that I pass on, you know, to my daughter or whoever wants to take it over. (laughs) So have you you thought about having a brick and mortar? 
actually? No, I don't really want to have a shop okay. because it, it ties you to it. Yeah, yeah. just, a, I mean, I, I think of our farmer's market stand as our store, you know, as our shop. Um, because if you have an actual store, you have to be in it mm-hmm. all the time. And, and I wouldn't be able to do all the other cool stuff I do. So. Oh, I just thought of what I wanted to ask you. So I did see on Instagram that you make gallons Oh, yeah. product and you have yeah. some collaborative work that you do with restaurants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the restaurants that are actually featuring your sauces right now? So if people want to go out and try them yes. before they buy a bottle and yeah. get addicted. So um, we, do get, we do a gallon growler program, sometimes just for really big sauce fans. So mm-hmm. if you want to go through a lot of sauce on a personal level, you can order gallon growlers for us, but mm-hmm. from us, but we also do it for restaurants. So we've had different restaurants over the years. Uh, you know, Clyde Common used our sauce for their burgers for a while. Now they, ha- that was when Carlo was the chef. Now he's opening his own restaurant. So their, their new chef is doing something different, but we were there for a long time. Um, you know, Lardo uses our sauce for different, at different times. Um, r- currently attached uh, we made a Brava sauce based on Jose's Brava sauce that he makes. Um, and so they have a dish on the menu that you can go and get. And then you can also get the sauce there. And um, a food cart is using our whiskey smoked ghost sauce Ooh. right now. And so they're doing some wings and some pizza. Uh, they're called North North of West. Nice. the food cart. It's over in Southeast. Uh, yeah, so that's that's something that, I mean, it has to be for the right restaurant because yeah. it's, you know, you can go to Cash and Carry and buy a gallon of Tabatillo mm-hmm. for <laughs> very little, or um, we can make you this really awesome sauce using local ingredients. So it, it really is for restaurants that, that focus on that, you know, local um, product, and and so it's it's very rare that... So the restaurants will use it because it's cost, you know, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. So one last question for you. Yeah. Occasionally I see that you have special sauces. Yeah. And there seem to be limited editions. Yeah. Can you tell us about a couple of those and then tell me if any of those have made it to being a regular sauce that you produce? Um, not really. So we'll do, um, I mean, some, sometimes they do. So we'll do, um, like a featured market item with something from the market. And so it's, it's sauces from my cookbook. Mm -hmm. So, um, people can make them at home a lot of times. So we have like a strawberry rhubarb ghost that we can only make during strawberry season. And, um, we wouldn't really make that a a regular product because it's, you know, it's a little bit more, it's just a different process, Mm -hmm. different time. You have to really like purchase certain things in bulk at the time to make it like to be able to wholesale it, Mm -hmm. but we'll sometimes do it just for our market stand days and, um, just kind of to keep regular customers coming back. That's cool. Yeah. So one last thing for you to tell us about, and I don't know what it is. Maybe you have something on your mind that you wanted to share with us. Is there anything? Mm, anything. Oh, we kind of covered everything. Yeah, I'm. I'm just excited for this podcast to be a thing. I'm excited mm-hmm. to meet new food entrepreneurs. I I hope that we inspire people to make their own food dreams come true. Uh, Because I think I hear that a lot of people have an idea and it's challenging sometimes for them to make it happen. But I think even if think the things that take a lot of work are usually the best things. And so I think that I hope that we inspire people to do this. And I hope that we, um, that people, you know, 
connect on some level to our experiences because I think that our experiences are so different, but Mm -hmm. we meet so many amazing people doing amazing things. Yeah. And so I just want to help to promote those people. So I'm excited to have some guests in here and hear about what people are doing. And yeah. We have a list, I think, of over 30 people that we're inviting. we have some fun people in here. Yeah. People from all over the place. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be great. Committed to serving Oregonians with the mission of advancing science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production, Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are inspired by the creativity of new food development. We strive to find new flavors, new economic opportunities, new experiences, and honor diversity. We are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace because good food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.